Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable. You are about to hear part two of an open discussion between five UBI advocates recorded on March 1st, 2020 by our group A, Ariel, Mia, Jacqueline, Parker, and Elizabeth. We join them with this recording already in progress. Uh, yes. Ex- yeah. Yeah, because let's, I, and I think we need to start talking about privilege in terms of rights. Like there are some people sitting in this chat that have, you know, at least at minimum, their basic rights being met, human rights. Yeah. And when we speak in terms of rights, we're saying by deep, ipso facto, this is universal, and that there are some people that are being stripped of rights, of human rights. And if you yeah. read, the, read the problem through, with our, sorry, go ahead. If you read through UN Declaration, okay? The problem is a lot of people... They're not called, you know, but a lot of the things that are enumerated in there as rights, okay, which includes, you know, a a basic income for people who, you know, can't work. And not, it doesn't say it has to be conditional, just, you know, A, an income. So, I mean, take that to mean, according to, you know, articles specifically, articles 24 through 28, to mean that UBI would not be excluded... And it would actually be better than a safety net because the other thing with conditional programs is that your income is capped. So that serves as a ceiling, whereas UBI yeah. is the floor. And I, I think, think they need to both yes. exist. Yes. Welfare and UBI both need to exist. And the problem with our current system is that it's all about competition. You have to win in order to get by. And so many people are pretty much just born to lose in this system. Because they just don't have that power, unfortunately. You pretty much have to compete for power, and that's not how it should work at all. No. No, and it's not a meritocracy either. Um, Because if it was, then I would like one answer, and Ariel knows what I'm talking about because he interviewed before. I would like one answer, and that is why didn't it work for me? You know, when I did all these these so-called right things, you know, um, and and to end up, you know, as... you know, in, in my older middle-aged years with medically disabling problems, facing homelessness, and a real lack of help, you know, why didn't all the right things work out? When my husband, you know, um, when trying to be adaptive, you know, when he uh, was disabled from his job at the foundry, medically disabled from back injury, then the foundry closed and the operations for that were offshored, okay? Um, he started a salvage business, salvage uh, Ford truck and car parts. After I gave up hope on being able to get a chance for a job for, you know, anybody wants to go back and listen to that interview that Ariel did with me, you know, I don't want to get into the whole thing all over again. But uh, after not getting chances for jobs with my degree in math, yes, a STEM degree, um, I worked with my husband, you know, so we were selling Ford uh, big block engines far away as Australia and New Zealand and shipping by deal. And that's what we were doing to try to supplement what he was getting for Social Security a retirement because I couldn't get an income. I got property and casualty insurance licenses, but then the insurance companies started back charging the agents our commission pay, which, you know, we weren't paid salary, we were paid commission only. When people would let their auto insurance lapse, we would get back charged our pay. They would back charge us our commission. They would claw back our paychecks. 
And it, it got to the point where it was costing me money that we didn't have to maintain my licenses to work as a property and casualty agent. And, um, you know, I just said, well, nuts to this. And I got scars on my arms from pulling, you know, salvage car parts and scrap metal, doing the salvage thing with my husband. And then he got downed by, you know, two, two heart attacks. And everything went uh, south after that. You know, we, we had to liquidate everything. Um, we couldn't afford to repair the garage we had on our property. The city ordered us to have it demolished, and I couldn't come up with twelve grand to do it. Um, so I basically had to have a GoFundMe, and then I got abused all over the Internet, saying, oh, you know, she's just a con artist. She's not trying hard enough to get a job, you know that she needs to have a GoFundMe to, you know, that, that people don't really believe that poor people have had their homes condemned out from underneath them by, you know, the the locality where they live over things like not being able to afford a roof repair yeah, yeah, or something. Up, exactly. And, and you wonder, like, what will it take? What will it take? So I thought maybe if you say it every single week and we, you know, publicize it through, you know, a, a bunch of different platforms, Maybe that's what it takes. I don't know, right? Like we'll 10 times out. a week? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, like 10 times a week. We're all well, I, I put it on my Twitter handle that I'm a, you know, a, a, a Yang Gang round, uh, Roundtable speaker. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, put it on there, and everybody who follows me can see that, as well as a nice little blue hat. Uh, <laughs> so everybody knows, hey, I'm out as Yang Gang and staying Yang Gang. And, and you know... Sorry, but the thing that that bothers me is like the people who attack the people who are trying and these people really need like they hide under a veil of anonymity, but we really need to like drag these people out into the light. I had a medical GoFundMe. I had a medical GoFundMe sabotaged and kiboshed by people like that. And because I never got to have a chance for a job a middle-class job with health benefits, not because I failed to do all the right things. I just never got a break, okay? And they trashed my medical GoFundMe, and I nearly died from Crohn's disease complications as a result of that. And had I not been approved for the expanded Medicaid eight months later, I wouldn't be sitting at this roundtable talking with any of you people today. I'd be dead. But these people that um, were better off than me and clearly not disabled or having problems or even knew what it was to be poor, they felt uh, that because I was a poor woman begging for money, that it was perfectly okay to slander me and trash my GoFundMe. And then they took it further. They not oh. only slandered, trashed my GoFundMe by killing any donation uh, op- opportunities that uh, people wouldn't donate, they actually filed an anonymous fraud complaint to GoFundMe, who believed them first without asking any questions or demanding any proof on them. So now that I'm facing homelessness with being in this medically, you know, disabled situation that I am, I can't even have a GoFundMe to try to get the $1,800 I'm short that I need to pay the back due uh, taxes on my falling apart house so that I'm not on the street in soiled clothing with no place to clean my clothing or myself or take care of my elderly husband, who I am his caregiver, by the way, because he's more disabled than me and he's older than me. And 
you know, I can't even have a GoFundMe because of that. Mm. You know, and uh, there's no way for me to appeal that. I mean, pay, uh, GoFundMe is a private company and they're run, you know, who, who started that? Well, rich techie people that, you know, rich white tech dudes who've never been poor or disabled, you know, who don't know what it's like to have life kick them in the face over and over and over and over for 35, 40 years. But that's well, the intention of GoFundMe was never to become a supplement for, uh, you know, just having people get taken care of in the first place. So it's really just the wrong thing that people have to go through that in the first place and then to be denied on top of that. I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, we're glad you're, I'm really glad that you're able to tell your story right now. And it makes me wonder if these people who flagged and reported your GoFundMe have, have, have truly worked hard to get to where they are today, because I highly doubt it. Well, I'd like to know how lucky they were, too, because, you know, Agreed. luck has a lot to do with it. Did they end up with a disabling medical problem, let alone two of them? Did they end up suffering uh, two heart attacks? Did they have, or, or um, were they lucky in that somebody believed in them enough to give them a chance so that they were able to become unpoor before they they started to get old and their their health started. You know, to you know, Jacqueline. You know, Jacqueline. It's it's like it, the movie Joker, where he already had like. A I never ma- saw that movie, Ariel. So you're talking. Oh, okay. To no, no, but but it, that, that's fine. But but he had like a mental disability where he would laugh at situations where he felt uncomfortable with and it just mm-hmm. ended up kind of like destroying his life and there was just bad event after bad event after bad event and the society he was living in just kept kicking him when he was down instead of giving him a, a helping hand up and i think exactly. that is one of the most morally just D- disgusting things that we do is that people who are already having a hard time just like kicking them when they're down and eventually like because of what he decided to do like the whole city just descended into chaos and anarchy so it's really yeah. upsetting though is that i've been telling my story for a long time and what i got for my trouble was basically nothing but abused and told that, you know, shut up, stop whining. Um, if, if you weren't just uh, pitying yourself, you know, maybe you wouldn't be poor. Excuse me. That's what you got us. You'll for. never get that from us, ever. You know, it's yeah, like... Yeah, don't worry. It's, it's I'm not talking of... about a pity party, or I'm talking about reality. Let's talk about Bayes' theorem what, what, and, and the, uh, the, 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 the paradox of of the Monty Hall paradox of con- unconditional probability and the, the you know, where the, uh, the, the subject of choice just falls apart. Let's talk about things like the fact that in order for some people to win in our, t- in our type of a, a capitalist system, even with a social floor, you're going to have only so much room at the top. That means a lot of other people have to lose. Does that mean that the loser should be condemned to, you know, starve and not have basic needs uh have their basic be able to meet their basic needs and be in a position to pick themselves up and dust themselves off you know absolutely not um and uh and and this is the thing i i wrote about this in classism for dimwits 
And when I was speaking as a leader in the human trafficking survivor community, you know, uh, to people who didn't understand that, you know, no, this is worse than the regular discrimination that middle class women face because there's real stigma to people who um, were criminalized for being trafficked as homeless 12-year-old children, you know. And, yeah, you get that record expunged when you're 47, finally, that now society recognizes that what happened to you was a crime. But try getting your first job and competing against 20-year-old kids, you know, for that first job. It's not going to happen. There's no um, way to recoup all that time. And that's the other thing that Bernie's plan does not recognize when I said about time. It doesn't recognize how much further I could make use of my time with that UBI than if 8 to 10 hours a day, probably more if we're talking about limited bus service and three-hour bus rides anywhere, uh, you know, that UBI would go further because I would be able to take the one thing that I can do and, you know, people laugh, but I know how to trade. Now, I couldn't come out and say this when I was in the Bernie camp because, oh, my God, that would make me class trader. That would make me this horrible rich investor person when, no, rich I'm not. I had a couple hundred bucks that a friend loaned me last month and said, you know, try to turn this into the 3800 that you need. I got as far as 25 to 30 bucks shy of a grand when the market started to tank. You know, and now we're in a bear market. Now we're in a bear market. And all these people that are that sat there that were so smug that looked down on those of us who, who, for whom life is kicked in the face our whole lives, they're now getting to experience what it is to lose everything and believe this, this is not over. That coronavirus has downed supply lines in every country in the world. We will be feeling the reverberations of last week's uh, market dive for at least the next year and a half. And in that interim, how many millennials that are now in their 40s are going to be pushed out of the economy permanently because of age discrimination? Add to the fact that automation is still eating more jobs than it's creating, you know, uh, as far as, you know, when we think of traditional employment, okay? It, it's, you know, it's like people actually have to get hit with a dose of reality upside the snot locker before they get it. You know, that, yes, you know, this, this is what it means to have time go against you. And when you're 40 or 50 years old, if you're lucky to even have a middle-class job, any 401k or an IRA, because you actually got to have an income that there was money to save, you know, to begin with, you know, and then have it evaporate when, when you're in your middle-aged years, it's not like you can recoup that very easily without a UBI because there's too much going against you in a shrinking jobs pie to ever be able to recoup. And this is what, you know, I think really needs to be drilled home. And I've been experienced at trading because I know how to do it. I had to liquidate what was in my trading account before when I got sick from the diabetes and the Crohn's. I was almost at just enough to not be eligible for food stamps. In other words, I started out with a couple hundred bucks, was almost over the two grand mark, and bang, I had to withdraw everything because I had to replace all my food on a moment's notice because that's what diabetes means. It means there's costs that Medicaid doesn't necessarily pay for, right? Like having to replace 
an entire month's worth of food because you can no longer have the things that you thought you could have, um, among other things. So I've been, I, I'm pretty well schooled in this. And, you know, I can see what will happen if a UBI, they're talking about, you know, the Fed chair is talking about uh, possibly doing a rate cut uh, next, uh, next week when the Fed chair has uh, the Fed Reserve as their meeting. Well, the best way to prevent uh, this recession that's going to be the fallout of the stock market recession, there's two recessions. There's a stock market recession, and then there's the recession that everybody who is living paycheck to paycheck will feel. And that is where the UBI needs to come in because just uh, infusing the markets with money is not going to do a damn thing about down supply lines in a global economy. But putting a UBI in the hands of every citizen in this country, like other countries are doing, Hong Kong did it, okay? Um, I think Australia is another country that did it. What, what will happen is that it will mitigate the worst of the effects of it so that the economy doesn't go completely in the toilet and it will be a lot easier to rebuild from there. But if you don't have um, a floor and your, 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 your theoretical loss can be infinite with no way to ever recoup. And I say that not as somebody, as a trader, as somebody who understands how markets work on a global scale as somebody who understands the relationships between um, uh, market drops and job losses and the tendency for, for businesses to consolidate and buy back stocks when, when things are like a blue light sale day on Wall Street and invest in automation, you know? So when somebody says uh, that they want to talk about helping the economy, Will UBI prevent a recession? No. It'll just make sure that it's not fatal for a hell of a lot of people. That's a good point. Yeah, you you speak better than so many of these talking heads on the news. I agree. You should be a Yang surrogate next time he runs. I I would love to. You know, I I would love to. And, And in fact, that was one of the things that I noticed about Bernie's plan too. He's talking about a two percent transaction tax, and he says, "Well, this is going to this is going to get the guys on Wall Street." No, it won't, and I'm going to tell you why. In the investment and trading world, there's what you call market makers, and those are the guys that are the floor traders. They're the market makers, and how they get paid is they are paid the difference on the bid ask spread. Now, what that means is on a stock or an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund, or any asset, could be that, you know, we could be talking about bonds, we could be talking about Forex, which is foreign currency, which I do not trade and don't recommend anybody else trade either. That's really dangerous. Uh, <laughs> but um, you get uh, what's called a bid-ask spread. The bid is what you will get if you sell the asset. The ask is what you pay if you buy, if you go, what we say, go long. Now, when you see the bid-ask spread widen pretty far, and for me, pretty far is more than five points, five, you know, five clicks or five points or whatever, you know, you want to call it, five ticks on, um, on the SPY, which is the, the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. It is the, it is the most liquid asset to trade in and out of in the world. Everybody trades the SPY everybody. Now, when you see, that normally has a nice tight 
spread between the bid and the ask of like maybe two, three, five cents at mo or five points at most. Right now, that spread is up to about a dollar, which means that there's um, there's liquidity issues, and this points to the downing of, of supply lines and everything else. What Bernie proposes to do with his two uh, percent transaction tax, okay, will add to that. Spread, it will actually create a wider spread between the bid and the ask. Now, the market makers, they don't work for free, okay? Those guys that are the floor traders on the exchange floor, and there's only a couple of them because a lot of that's automated now, but they don't work for free. The market makers do not work for free. So who do you think is going to get hurt by that 2% transaction task, uh, transaction tax whether you're trading options like me or whether you have an income that you're able to afford to stockpile in your 401k or your IRA or some regular boring old mutual fund, you are. It's going to hurt the lower income and the middle income people who, you know, actually need to benefit from that market, not be hurt more and excluded more from it. And that's where Bernie's really wrong-headed with his 2% um, transaction tax. It sounds politically great. Oh, yeah, we're going to get the big fish on Wall Street. No, those big fish are going to pass it off onto the, the retail uh, investor, saver, and trader. The small account trader with, who's trying to trade a $350 loan to save her home up to 3800 bucks. He's going to hurt the, the guy who lost his job at Best Buy who maybe has a 1000 bucks in his IRA. And it's going to hit you on every transaction like dividends re, being reinvested, cashing out your, your uh, IRA or your 401k, or tr selling that mutual fund now that you finally were able to save up enough to maybe put on a down payment for a modest home uh, and share with a couple of your buddies. You're now going to get clipped. But the market makers who represent Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, they're not gonna. Because they have the ability to lobby Congress to make sure that it does not apply to them. It will apply to us. Does anybody understand? If I'm talking Greek, please feel free to jump in and say, Hey, Jacqueline, please explain this to me like I'm five. Because I have a tendency to forget that not everybody knows trading like the back of your hand like me. I'm sorry. I think we're good. Oh, the actual trading talk, yeah, you lose me, but on the overarching principle you're discussing, you, d you don't, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, your story, your, your story definitely makes a lot of sense. So don't worry. Okay. <laughs> because a lot of people, it's like, you know, they say, well, what's a bid ask? Uh, I, I mean, I had a guy on my Facebook friends list. Uh, God bless. He's been following my posts ever since I flipped from Bernie to Yang. <laughs> and he asked, I, I felt like, in fact, I did screen cap it, and I shared it with some friends, uh, Yang friends, just to give him a good cheer-me-up for a giggle. He said, who is UBI? <laughs> and I said, uh, it, it's not a who, it, it, it's a what, you know. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> you know? UBI are the initials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, Go back to sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I wanted to make sure that when I'm getting into abstract concepts like talking about the Black Scholes uh, pricing of options trades or uh, bid ask spread size and how a transaction tax will affect that and be passed on to everybody 
and prevent poor people and middle class people who need to benefit from these markets to be able to access those markets. And it will, it's one of those things like the road to hell being paved with good intentions because it will clip you when you buy and when you sell. And Aren't there a few UBI plans that are out there that actually kind of uh, rely on the stock market to start building up like index files and such? Or index? I can't remember the right term. Like a sovereign wealth fund concept? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and here's the thing too is that um, they, and they, and we were discussing this on the last week's uh, roundtable, is that is we can't have only one thing in our wheelhouse. We have to look at that. We have to look at sovereign wealth fund. We have to, you know, look at um, uh, many and, and whatever solutions that are at least at at least feasible, so that we don't have only one thing in our wheelhouse. Because when you put all your eggs in one basket, you're fucked if you drop that basket and they all break. You don't you, get an omelet. You get a mess on the floor. Do you get me? <laughs> that's that's so amazing like we're, we're told like when we're younger like oh if you're a very very high iq person and you know you're you're well studied like you don't end up you know poor and struggling and stuff like that and and it's like you're you're talking like an ma and yet you know these are the realities some of the so smartest crazy. people i know absolutely haven't even finished high school i finished college while homeless well, when I was a non-traditional age student, graduating at the age of 34 in 2001. Just in time wow. to have the economy tank because of the World Trade Center attacks. I think you introduced the, the perfect term for what we're talking about, which is credentialism. And it is a wonderful rhetorical term. And I'm so glad you brought it up in episode one. I hope we bring it up every single episode. It is what is we going should. to, it's what is, it is one concept that is going to help us move past this terrible late stage capitalist place we are and into a UBI and a real future. So thank we you need, for introducing that. A, That's going to be a cornerstone for us. Yeah, go on. Yeah, we, we need to really dispense with this nonsense that if you did not go to a prestigious uh, Ivy League school and earn, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the right, the quote unquote, right degree, um, that that you have no knowledge and you're not uh, a credible source. I think lived experience trumps paper any day of the week. And I've lived homeless, to... and I've lived making making money and starting to pull myself up out of poverty because somebody had to give me money to do it. Z- zero doesn't compound upwards. Some kind soul twice <clears throat> had to give me a couple hundred bucks seed capital, you know, and. So I've experienced both, and I had to be a student of these, of all these things, and have a full understanding. You know, uh, it, it's like when Ariel was feeling bad because he really enjoyed his job that he was let go from, and it's like, no, honey, it, it's not your fault. You were probably the best, you know, one of the best people they had. But if the majority of people that have money already bought all the things they're going to buy for the year. There is not a damn thing you can do because people can't afford to buy the games and the gadgets on nothing but karma points. I mean, sure, yeah. I'd love to have the, the uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion 4 redone um, <laughs> with all the fucking mods and the plus. Oh, man, that's my favorite game. I just uh, I just outed myself as an older lady who play games. <laughs> that, okay. You that gave your age in the first episode, so it's, it's no secret you're 52. It's okay. 
I'll be 53. Yeah, don't worry. I'll be 53. Be, be proud of it. I'm, I'm so glad I'm we have you with your, long, with your long story and your extensive wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. Don't worry about being 52. It's, it's fine. Yeah, you have a voice that we totally need in this podcast that people need to hear. You're a Gen Xer. That's a nice. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? I grew up when grunge was the thing, you know, and the you know, boom was killed I'm by the yeah, I, I listen to grunge now, grunge. so grunge when I was ten years old was like an awakening for me. You know, it was amazing. So anyway, I, I should not as our host derail us. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Let's talk. Talk about what we were talking about. <laughs> okay, well, we were talking about how people need to get their heads screwed on straight and demand, you know, this UBI because when they say, well, the jobs guarantee, they're not looking at all the hidden costs and taxes, and if they really wanted to help the poor. Here's something that most people don't know either, but I, I sure as hell wrote about this in Classes of Dimwits, that book that I self-published 12 years ago, that every one of those burners should have bought a copy of before they started talking about uh, how, uh, you know, uh, how much they, they wanted to quote-unquote help the poor without helping the poor. Number, number of things that people don't realize is that in addition to not having income is the problem that the poor are charged more for the same basic goods and services as those who are more advantaged or more fortunate. And when I say the same basic goods and services, I'm saying with all else being equal. And I found out about this firsthand when I was doing auto insurance uh, in an attempt to create my own job after nothing else worked out. Um, I found that the quoting system was divorced from uh, driving history. That you could be, uh, let's say you're a 23-year-old guy and you have a Ferrari, and you had a DUI, and you trashed your Ferrari, you will still pay a lower auto insurance rate than somebody who's dirt poor, who's the same age, who maybe didn't have a Ferrari because they couldn't afford one. They had maybe, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a Ford Escort or a Hyundai. But they never had a DUI or an accident. And if they are the same age and everything else... They will pay more simply because of their credit score being lower because being poor means not being able to pay your bills, which means your credit's in the toilet. And I looked into this and I found out that I was also being overcharged 30 to 50% more on my electric and gas. And this is true for all poor people. And what happened was the utility companies that were deregulated in the late 90s and early 2000s allowed for this to happen so that... Your regular, like your electric company, your gas company, they charge the poor 30 to 50% more, and it's based on credit score, and they go based on zip code. If you live in a poor neighborhood, and you are, you know, obviously poor, you have to fill out that application to open that utility account. The amount of security deposit you have to pay to get that utility turned on depends on your income and your credit score. So if you're in a poor area, and they can tell by your zip code, and they look at your FICO score, and it's really low because you never got to, you know, have a good job. You will pay 30 to 50% more for electric and gas in your crappy small apartment or, you know, small rundown house than the people who are more fortunate that live in a 3,000-square-foot McMansion that have a fucking backyard pool with a fucking pool heater. That's not a joke, and that's not, I'm not making this up. Now, I, so why I've does actually, it work this way? Why, does, why is that the way it works? Because people who were better off voted for the politicians 
that would give them goodies by sticking it to the poor. Because the excuse they, I've heard um, usually is that since you're poor, they can't depend on you to be able to make your payments, so you need a larger down payment. Uh, I've been in this position oh, as well occasionally. And your monthly sense. rates are higher, too. So, you know? dang, it's, it's like no matter what you do, they make it impossible for you to get anywhere. This concludes the second segment of our March 1st recording. Keep attending to whatever channel you received this recording through to receive the third soon. Until then, be well and take care.